The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by FreshBooks. Discover a super intuitive way to make creating and sending invoices for your business efficient and simple. Try it out for free for an entire month. Visit freshbooks.com slash candid and enter the candid frame in the how did you hear about it section. FreshBooks, it's small business accounting software made just for you. This is Ibarian X and this is the candid frame. One of the inevitable consequences of war and conflict are refugees. While the death and destruction of war can be isolated to a particular region or community, the lives of the displaced often find their way to countries and communities thousands of miles away from where bombs are exploding and bullets are flying. The stories of men, women, and children who are escaping such conflicts often portrays these people as some amorphous whole. Refugees just become masses of nameless people whose fates become intertwined with complex debates of economics, politics, and fear. One doesn't have to look any further than the Brexit vote in Great Britain, the recent general election in Germany, and our own presidential election to see the far-reaching implications of refugees. Swiss photographer Gabriel Hill wanted to do more than just go into a refugee camp to capture photographs of people at their most desperate. Instead, he sought to put a name and a story to the faces of refugees who have come to call Switzerland home. His simple, straightforward portraits, which include the subject with one personal item that they value, provides a perspective that is often missing from other work. It forces the viewer to reconsider not only who they are looking at, but also to consider what choices they themselves would make if they were forced to leave all that they have known behind. Well, first off, welcome to the show. It's great. It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Before we get into your 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 project, let, let's talk about your primary work, which is that as a commercial portrait photographer. Yeah. Tell me how you sort of got into that and um, why it's, it's such a passion for you. Well, I was uh, my very first contact with photography was when I was maybe five years old. I was like my mother dragged me to some. Uh, it was like a kids uh, for for a commercial like kids model thing, and I was doing this for I don't know two or three years. And I hated being photographer, but I, I loved being on set and seeing the photographers and the assistants. And so that was I was very inspired by that, and found always it was so fun to be on the set and. From then on, I was always playing around with the camera. My mother, she had a Nikon um, film camera, but we didn't have a film because we. Uh, I'm coming from a very poor uh, house, so I was just taking the camera and like going through the world and seeing through the viewfinder, like exploring the world, and it was always fascinating for me. And so I was always doing photography, more or less, but not like just was for fun and shooting some friends. And then maybe when I was, I don't know, maybe. 
25 or 26 my girlfriend started a fashion blog and she was like yeah can you shoot me like in some fashion clothes and then i started doing photography regularly and somehow it's just like everything came together and then once i uh, i graduated from law school and the next day when i got my diploma i opened up my photo studio and since then i'm doing this and yeah, having my niche here in in basel switzerland with my headshot photography and we have uh, three big global players here in Switzerland from, from the pharma industry. So I'm mainly shooting them and that's what pays my bills. And the other thing that I do is like my personal stuff and yeah, yeah somehow I just got into it. <laughs> well, you just, you just said you graduated from law school. I mean, how, what, were, what were you originally intending to do? Well, I, when I, when I went to the, uh, to, I think it's high school in the States, I wanted to study piano because I, since I was small, I played the piano. So I was preparing for the, for the entry exam for the music school here in Switzerland. But for some reason, I thought like, yeah, I'm not going to be the next, I don't know, Horowitz or so. And I thought, okay, if you have to do this for a living, then it's getting hard and I don't want to lose the passion for my piano music. So I thought, okay, what could I do to study something that gets me a job so I can work 50% the job I have to do and then pays the, the, the bills and I can do 50% of the things I like to do. So that's why I decided to go with law school because in Switzerland, with if you have a degree in law, you can do, I don't know, 170 jobs. It's a very, very, uh, yeah, you can do almost anything with law. Well, well. So that's why I went for law. But I hated it. It was like the worst time in my life to go to law school. And like when I got my diploma, I was like, yay, let's do photography. And my mother was like, oh boy, now why, why can't you just be a lawyer? Like why photography? Like no one pays you anything for that. So yeah, but I just love it. And since then I'm doing it. What was so difficult about law school? What did you like, like I didn't least like about it? it? At all. it, was, it I didn't like it at all. It was just like, I just did it so I, I have something that pays my bills. And, but it's, like, it's, it's a, like I had to go to high school because I didn't have the, the right diploma for the university. So I went to the evening classes, which uh, was for four years. And mm -hmm. then I studied six years. So 10 years of my life, I did something I hated. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was really – and it was a big relief when I got my, my uh, degree from the law school and just opened up my studio. And everyone said, like, yeah, since you're doing your photography and your studio, you're changed as a person. Like you're happy, you're enjoying life, and yeah, that's I, I like what I do. Like in my in my job in the studio, I have to make people feel good, have to make people laugh, so we're having a good time and get good pictures. And if you work as a lawyer, you have to make people cry, and that's not yeah. what that's not my personality. So, uh, did, did did you take your mother a while to finally you know feel comfortable with the idea that you weren't going to be practicing law and that you were going to be a photographer? Did that take a while? Well, she she still is not that hundred percent convinced. <laughs> so when when I started with my student, she was like, "Yeah, you sure? Like that's that's going to be very hard." And then after it it went pretty well, she was like, "Yeah, but you have to remember, you have to pay your taxes." So she's always a little bit like scared that something's going to happen. And when I started my project with the refugee, she was like, "Yeah, but you're like you're wasting a lot of money and a lot of time for a project that doesn't get you anything." Mm. And I was like, yeah, but I like what I do. I like this project. It's very important to me, this project. And yeah, now, two years later, finally, it has some kind of little success and people see it and talk about it. So that's, that's really nice. And now she's happy, like, yeah, wow, that's really great. But still, she's like, if you work as a photographer, you never know. Like today, I have five clients. Maybe next week, I don't have any clients. So it's, it's probably easy to work as a lawyer. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm just not a 
kind of person for for law. So, did you have the help of anyone else, like another photographer, or you know, because I think it's when you're you're making that kind of leap, doing it alone is always difficult, and sometimes people do have to make it alone. But other there are other times when you have the benefit of having the benefit of a mentor or, or someone who gives you advice or someone who's an example you can you can watch. What, what's your story with respect to that? For, well, I haven't had anyone here for, for helping me. Like I, I never assisted to anyone. I, I barely know any photographers in Switzerland. I, the most people I know are from the States. So I don't even know what's happening here in Switzerland with photography. And yeah, for me, it was like I started this whole thing. And, and then I got to know, like, today you have the Internet and you can contact everyone around the world. I was... A few months ago, I was talking with Mark Seliger. Then I had contact with Amy Leibovitz to do so. Today, everything is possible. Mm-hmm. If you work hard, if you really do something and you have to be like uh, persistent in everything you do. And so I, I like my, my girlfriend just posted out stuff on the internet, on Instagram. And then I did some hatchet stuff because I, I really love um, Irving Penn and Richard Avedon. So I was just searching on the internet some, some stuff from Richard Avedon. And then somehow I came across Peter Hurley. Because he's like I don't know somehow connected to to Bruce uh, Weber and Bruce Weber was a student of Richard Avedon, so I somehow came across uh, Peter Hurley and uh, my girlfriend posted a picture a headshot of her on on Instagram and he liked the picture and wrote like something like yeah very nice blah 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 and so I got in contact with Peter and then from then on uh, I worked a bit like he was mentoring me and. Uh, he has this website like where he's like um, teaching people how to to uh, to do headshots, and many of those people they are just like commenting the whole day, like posting stuff and then writing stuff. And I was like, I just saw what he's doing and tried my best to like I work really hard to get where I'm today. Mm-hmm. People concentrate on other people, like what is he saying about my work or what is this guy saying about my work, and I just concentrated on what I do. And just saw what is he doing and how can I, what's, what's not good with my work, what's compared to his work. And he gave me some advice and said, yeah, you have to change this or pay attention to that. And see, he was a bit of a mentor to much. Yeah, but that was, I don't know, a year ago or more than a year ago. And since then, I'm just doing my stuff. And I, I always just work for myself. I have my headshot business, which is like the things I have on my website. And then I work with a photo um, agency in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So that's the other stuff I have on my website. But I barely show any work to anyone because I don't really care who who thinks what on my work. And I have a lot of things that I do that's nowhere. I don't want anyone to see that I do still life photography for for friends. If they come to me like, yeah, I need a good picture for my house. So I love what what Rich uh, what uh, Irving Penn did, like still photography wise. So I do a lot of that stuff. But I don't post very much of of my work except like the headshot business. And that's where my niche is here in Switzerland. And people just saw it and like it and come to me. And yeah, but but I'm I'm not really mentored by anyone here. And well, what brought you to my attention was your your project in portraits in which you photograph immigrants who, surprisingly enough, um, you first encountered because they they were living next to you. Can you tell us that? that story about how you discovered this subject matter and what drove you to want to photograph them? Well, when I, when I opened up my studio, I was like, okay, I'm not an artist. I take pictures. So I, I don't consider myself as an artist. I just said, okay, this is a, like nowadays, like everyone needs a picture. If you use it for LinkedIn or for intranet, or I don't know where you need a picture. So 
I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to make, it's, it's a product, my headshots are a product, it's not art. And I thought, yeah, that's okay with me. And then my, my studio is in the rear house, and in the front house are some refugees living. And I always, when I go to my studio, I have to go through this uh, front house, and like then I skip uh, to my house. And I shoot all day long, shoot people from like heads of, I don't know, heads of uh, HR, heads of like the big, big guys here in Basel. Mm -hmm. And it always was a little bit like, like felt weird because like they have so much, they have more than like the average person. And then when I walk them out, I have to go through this house with the refugees and I see them, they have barely nothing. And so this contrast was always interesting to me, but also a little bit weird. And I thought about, okay, I... I'm really, like, this was two years ago, and people started, like, donating clothes to refugees and donating money, and I thought, what could I do, like, to help them in, in, in some way? What could I do? And for me, as a photographer, like, the first thing that came to my mind is a photo, because a photo says a lot more than, is, I think, sometimes more powerful than words. And so I thought about this, what could I do? What could I do? Like, there are millions of images of refugees out there, so... No one waited for my work. And then I thought, what could I do that's different? And so I, I, a friend of mine, she went to school with me. She's a refugee. She's from, fled from Bosnia in 1992. And I, I talked to her and said, yeah, I want to do something. And uh, she said, yeah, that, that's really great, great because, like, you see, you just hear refugees, but no one knows them. No one has any friends or barely people have friends, refugee friends. So you just hear this, like, refugee but you don't know who they are where they come from and I thought yeah I want to do something but it's more of a concept so my my project has many different layers like the photo should show the people here who are those people coming here where are they from why not why are they here but who are they and then it also in order to make a connection with someone you have to to know a little bit about him and I thought if I shoot them with the most important item for one split second, you're in the very same uh, situation as this person was when he was or she was fleeing. So you think about what what do I take with me? What what is really important to me? What matters? And if you if you have a common thread, then it's more easy to feel with someone. So I thought, yeah, that maybe helps to 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 understand uh, or to to get sympathy for for the refugees. But I also wanted to give something back to them. So I thought, if I do a book. And all the money I get from the project donate back to the refugees. It all also helps them in like from 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 this viewpoint of they're really getting something out of it, not just like exposure or a voice or a face, but also getting something back. And yeah, that's how the project started and went off from there. But I didn't have any help from anyone. It was really difficult. I contacted all the organizations and like no one even replied to my emails like, they thought, like, yeah, photographer, like, there are so many photos of photos of uh, refugees out there. Who needs another photographer doing mm -hmm. something for them? And at the end, I found a, a non-governmental organization who said, yeah, okay, let's, we can just give you the permission to be at our premises, and you have to talk to them. You have to convince them, and from there on, everything started. But it was really difficult. It took me 12 months to shoot 10 people, so it was really, really hard. And it still is hard, but now with all the publicity about it, it's easier, but... In the beginning, it was very really hard. Tell me about your first first subject. The first subject was my my friend, which went to school with me. She because I asked her, could, could you, would you like, could you imagine to sit for me and and tell me your story? 
um, because otherwise I don't have to show anything to anyone. Like if I go somewhere and tell them like I want to do a project and they don't see what I want to do, it's even more hard. And she, she said, okay, that's, that's fine with me. So she was my first subject. And then with, with her photo, I went to the local refugee camps and showed it to the people. But like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, as I said, I took 12, 12 months to get 10 people. And it's different if you go to a refugee camp in, I don't know, maybe uh, Greece or so and just take pictures of them. Mm-hmm. And th- they maybe just stand there, but they don't have to talk. They don't have to tell their story. They don't have to tell their names. It's different. But if, because they're here, like far away from home. And like they don't, they have different problems than me f- shooting them. So mostly they said like, yeah, I like it, but I don't want to. Or yeah, I'm coming to your studio, but they never showed up. Or yeah, I'm scared because it could maybe have a bad influence on my reg- like uh, yeah. asylum thing here in Switzerland. So that was really difficult. And it had to do a lot with trust because you have to trust someone to to sit in front of the camera and you know you're going to show uh, uh, end up in a in a book. Or on a website, you have to trust this person that this person is not misusing it in any way. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of consequences for these people, not only where they are now, but also back home in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but tell me about the second person, the person that after 12 months you finally succeeded in having sit for you. Uh, the second person was uh, a guy from Afghanistan. He... Uh, He's here for, I think, four years, and uh, he was very open-minded, but he was, in the beginning, was a little bit, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to do it. Because if it's not like, if, like you have to, to tell your story, and when you're telling your story, what you went through, like, in your mind, you, you, you're going through this thing all again, so some people just don't want to think about it. And he was like, yeah, it was... It's a great project. I, it's hard for me. I have this, this necklace from my father which was, uh, who was killed and my mother gave it to me. So that's the only thing that I have. And he was like, okay, let's, let's do it. I, I don't really like to, to do this, but I think it's important so people see our faces. And so we have a voice because otherwise we're just the refugees, but no one knows who we are. And he was my second um, subject. And yeah. What did you start learning early on that that you had to learn to put into practice? Because, you know, it wasn't just about how you lit them or how you posed them. It was so much about how you interacted with them, uh, and especially since their stories were so sensitive and, and evoked such raw feelings oftentimes. What did you learn that you had to do differently than what you typically have to do with your headshot or your corporate clients? Well, the first thing is I wanted to show them with pride, I, because if 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 you hear the like, the the word refugee, people think like yeah, it has to be a person with dirty clothes and in a camp and who has to look poor or dirty. And I want to show them with pride, and I want to show them uh, with a very simple setup. So I thought if if I if I shoot them sitting on a table you get the because in the in the exhibition the the pictures were very were life size so you got like when you're standing in front of a image you have the feeling like you're sitting in front of a table with them and uh, i didn't change the setup i i had this setup and i used it every time the same way because i wanted to underline their repetitive nerves uh, from from their destiny so 
It's like it's just the face is changing and the name is changing, but their stories are all very similar. And since I really love, I absolutely love the olefin backdrops from, from Sarah Olefin from New York, it was clear to me that I'm going to use olefin backdrops because they have a very subtle texture and not that much of a personality. Lighting-wise, I like Rembrandt. Uh, I, I'm inspired very much from Rembrandt and Caravaggio. So that was the next thing for me to do. And uh, yeah, from I was just, just sitting in front of them at the table with my camera and talking to them and they told me their story and from time to time I would take a picture and many people who come to my ex uh, exhibition said like, yeah, I know him, but he looks so different. I don't know this guy from this side. And that's because I shot them in the moment where they were very like pure, like it's, it was a pure moment. Like they, it was not acting. It was just the moment was like with Richard Avedon. He was like, talking with someone for four hours and then take the first picture. Mm -hmm. You have to talk with someone. Like It's all about the talking. That's, that's what changed in the photography, I think, because many say you didn't study it or you didn't went to the, to the um, photo school. But I think that's not important today anymore. You, everyone can use a camera. And it's all about, how, about your connection with the person. So it's all, all about talking. Also with my headshot business, it's like I have to make the people feel comfortable and then I make good pictures and yeah, it was the same with my project. I was just talking with them and from time to time I would take a picture. In terms of just being able to get a good photograph, is it easier when you were dealing with the immigrants or is it easier when you're dealing with the sort of corporate clients? Because you're, you're, you know, you're dialoguing with both, but I was kind of oh. curious which you found. I think both, both is, uh, is, is very difficult because for, for my corporate uh, clients, they are mostly head of some department. So they, they are used to tell people what to do. And when they come to my studio, I tell them what to do. So mostly it's very hard to, I have to fight their egos and, and mm. because they, yeah, they, they are not used to getting told what to do. And especially with women, like if, if, if a woman comes to my studio and she's in a very high position, they even worked harder than men. So they are even more tough to, to handle. And with the refugees, it's like their stories are very touching, very uh, emotive and, you don't want to pressure them. You don't want to. I don't want to ask why. Why? Why were you coming here? Did anyone die? What happened? Why you were fleeing? So you have to be very careful what what you are asking. And I think both both are difficult, but just on a different level. One it has to do a lot with respect, and the other thing has a lot to do with uh, with um, not pushing it too far with someone. Because yeah, if I'm arguing with a client like and he's a corporate client and yeah he may be he's angry because he thinks like yeah I, i'm very important you are not but with refugees it's different i'm they telling me the the worst stories of their life and they're somehow naked and exposed in their most horrible moments so that's the big difference between the corporate work and the personal project One of the big challenges of running a small business is learning to handle your finances. If you're a photographer or any kind of artist, it's much easier to create the work than it is ensuring that you're properly compensated for all the time and effort that you've put in. And if you lack even the most basic of accounting skills, it can be downright intimidating to manage your business's finances. FreshBooks provides a simple-to-use accounting software that is tailor-made for small businesses like yours. 
Sending estimates and invoices couldn't be made any easier and can happen as quickly as 30 seconds. But most importantly, it's a complete system that provides the means for your clients to pay you online so you get your money that much sooner. Discover how FreshBooks can help you to handle cash flow, expense management, time tracking, and so much more by taking advantage of their month-long free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit FreshBooks.com forward slash candid and enter the candid frame in the how did you hear about section. FreshBooks, it's small business accounting software made just for you. Yeah, what's really interesting about your project is not just the, the portraits themselves, but that they are sitting with a single object that m- meant a lot to them. And in some cases, it's very surprising what some of those things were. Like, like one person that was just a, a strip of paper with a phone number. Another one was a cell phone. Uh, another one was a waterlogged Bible. Did you have any idea of what they were bringing to the photo session before you photographed them? No, no. I think when when I started this project, I had a very uh, romantic idea of what they were bringing. But if you're in their situation, some people just took something that's very like, yeah, a phone is very useful to you because if you're sitting in Libya and I don't know, you're in the prison in Libya and they tell you you have to pay thousand dollars in order to to get released, then you need a phone to call someone. Other people took something that's that's more like from a sentimental point of view. Like the when I uh, it was very interesting. I don't know if you've seen it. Ashton Kutcher posted my project on his Facebook site, and one guy is sitting there with his. Uh, he has three pictures of himself, mm-hmm. and someone was commenting like, "Wow, he has three photos of himself. Like, what's that kind of a person? Like, if you're most." most uh, precious item is a photo of yourself and I thought like yeah that that were those were three photos when he was a child and childhood was like for everyone childhood is mostly something that's very like you have good feelings about your childhood and everything was still okay you didn't have to work it wasn't that hard as if you're like an adult so for me it was never a problem like that someone takes a photo from himself Mm -hmm. but um, yeah it's like it all depends on on if you had to flee from one second to the next, or if you had, could prepare yourself, I think that made a difference what people were taking with them. Was there one item uh, that one of your subjects brought to you that completely surprised you, that you really could not have anticipated? No, I don't think so, because well, the, the girl with the, with the, the, the bunny, that was, mm-hmm. was a bit surprising, but then again... It was a memory from her childhood, and it was that important to her because in her childhood everything was okay. So yeah, if if you see the picture, I think yeah, why wait? She has a bunny, like that's weird. But yeah, if again, if you if 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 that was important to you because you were small and it was your most favorite object when you was a kid, then yeah, that's okay. But it was surprising to me. But yeah. When when you were photographing, you've mentioned that it could be very emotional for people. Um, and you have to sort of be very careful because you don't want to be exploitive. As you said, you're trying to show these people with dig- a certain level of dignity and, and respect. But you're still there as a photographer because you want to create a, a, a photograph. Um, how did you handle those moments where you could feel like the tension increasing in the room because they were revi- revisiting or re-experiencing what they had gone through when they 
journeyed from their home to wherever they ended up ended up being i paid attention to their body because you see the tension in the body and there's this picture from from uh, which is my favorite portrait of them all from the guy called shirin he's from afghanistan he has his cell phone mm -hmm. and uh, you can see it with his his body he's like somehow he doesn't feel comfortable he's kind of like he's not sitting here with Pratt. he's like more of a little bit i don't know how, how you describe it but he feels uncomfortable and that was was what i was paying attention to how do, how does the body react because that's something that you cannot control how your body reacts but mm -hmm. you feel like okay this person is uncomfortable and then i would stop like asking stuff but i was very very subtle with my questions i never asked like why did you have to flee and so i i was very i just let them talk and yeah. sometimes time would would ask like why or how but i was always like waiting for them to tell me and sometimes people would come twice like they just come to my studio and ask me about the project and tell me a little bit and said yeah i have to think about it and i come back and so it, sometimes yeah i had I was sitting there four hours or five hours with people because for me it was never just about the photo. I wasn't just like using this like now is the the big hype, the refugees, and wanted to just misuse their position for mm -hmm. me as a photographer. I just wanted for them that they feel comfortable. That's my job as a photographer to make people feel comfortable. And if you need to come twice to my studio, that's absolutely fine. But I didn't want to push them. And yeah, for some people, I think always it depends. How how long is it ago that you fled? Like if you look at the picture from the guy from uh, Tibet who was fleeing from Tibet sixty well fifty nine years ago, mm -hmm. you can see it like in his face. Like he's very down to earth, like very easy, very comfortable. He barely has any connection to his uh, fled back then sixty years ago. And for some other person who just came here, you see it in the face, like the tension, the, the, the anger, the, the, that they are scared, the fear. Yeah, that was also a thing that was very interesting to see in the pictures, how they differently, you see it in their faces, like they, some of them had, have had very horrible times and some of them it was, yes, it was hard, but it wasn't that hard. You, they didn't barely die, they just had to, to flee and it was horrible, but one guy, he was for three days, he was in a in a in a car like in a big truck and they locked him up in the truck and said yeah we are going to release you and they didn't release him for three days and he barely lived so yeah it all depends on your story and that must have been fascinating to, to hear because you hear these stories in the news but when you're face to face with someone who tells you that you know half the people that they may have traveled with in a boat drowned or didn't survive yeah, that, that that must be really humbling, not only as a photographer but as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know if if you know the the image from this three year old guy laying on the beach. Mm -hmm, yeah. So the, it's called Island. So this wasn't the first boy who died, who drowned. It's not going to be the last one. But the world was shocked. So that everyone was like in shock, and that's because like you knew his name, you knew how old he was, where he's coming from. So people could could put things together like if it would just be one person without a name like you wouldn't be that shocked and that was also one part of my of my project i wanted to show them so people see who is this person what's his name how old is he when did he flee so that was important for me to in order to for people to understand it because the problem here in switzerland is like swiss people are always very 
very easy to donate money if, if I don't know, uh, some catastrophe happens anywhere in the world, like they're donating money like crazy. But with the refugees, it's different because people here think like war is man-made and they are like, it's their own fault. Like they're Muslims, it's their own fault. So they cannot make any connection. And if you're in Switzerland, like a catastrophe can happen here in Switzerland too. So you can have a, you could imagine yourself happening this too, but with war, like no one has ever to flee from. So like no way in Switzerland it's going to be war any time. So. Did, did people who were close to you question why you were doing this, you know, for family or friends saying, you know, why are you bothering to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Like some people ask me, like, if I'm not scared that people might think I'm like, uh, I don't know, pro-refugee activist. And I found it like funny because... Yeah, I, I feel with them. I think it's it's horrible what's happening, and especially I'm from Switzerland. Like it's the richest country in the world. Like we don't have any real problems here in Switzerland. And then like what? Why are people scared here from the refugees? That's just silly. But uh, some people said it's great. Some people said it's bad. But that's also what's happened in the now with when when it went viral. Like some people liked it, some people hated it. Um, that's just like the the subject is is a. Uh, it's very uh, difficult. It's, it's. I try to to leave out all the politics. Like that's why I never wrote why is someone here. Uh, did he went to Italy or Greece? Because then people again would say why didn't he stay in Italy? Why did mm -hmm. he have to come to Switzerland? So I wanted to leave this all out. But still, some people yeah don't like it. Some people like it. But um, yeah, that's that's just a thing. Like you, you see them take Ashton Kutcher's Facebook site. He has seventy and a half million fans on his Facebook site. If 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 he posts something from I don't know what something silly like he gets ten thousand of likes. My post got something around thousand likes. So it's a very difficult subject. And yeah, there's one there's one portrait where you don't actually have the person, and it's uh, the photograph of the Bible. Well, yeah. Uh, tell us tell us about the story of that one because that. Uh, as wonderful as all your portraits were, that one really kind of struck me, especially the story behind it. Some people I, I found in camps, some people I found over people that are doing something with refugees. And this guy was on a, on a Facebook site where, where they were uh, collecting clothes for refugees. And he, I was on this site because I also tried to do something with them as well. And he wrote on the Facebook page like, hey, I've, I've, I'm a refugee. I'm here for three months now. If I can help in any way, let me know. And then I wrote to him and said, hey, look, I have this, this project. Would you be interested in it? And he said, yeah, absolutely. That's like I have a Bible. That's, that's, I would be absolutely thrilled to be with you. And then we said, okay, let's, let's meet up next week. And then we made an appointment and he didn't show up. And then uh, I wrote him and he was like, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I cannot do this. Like my brother said, I cannot do this. And I was like, why? And she's like, yeah, I, I just cannot do this. I'm sorry. And he never wrote back. And then another person from, from this Facebook group where they were collecting stuff wrote to me like, hey, did you meet this guy? And I was like, no, he's not writing back. And she said, yeah, let me talk to him. And then she talked to him and he called me again and said, look, I, I can participate in your project, but I don't want to have my face shown. So if you could hide my face, color it somehow, do whatever you want, but I don't want to show my face because I can't. I said, okay, that's absolutely fine with me. So he would come to my studio and then I was just playing around with, 
with trying to hide his face in shadow and for some reason it, it didn't turn out as it was like fake uh, it didn't just didn't look good and mm-hmm. then i thought like it, it would be even greater if he's not that the picture like it makes the like from a from a photographer's viewpoint it makes the picture more powerful if like if you go to my exhibition i see like okay this guy this guy this guy wait why is there no one on this picture like what happened did he die what's what's the matter with this picture so that was the most common picture on, on my uh, portrait on my in my exhibition so uh, he went uh, came to my studio and then he told me like yeah yeah i'm uh, actually from palestine but i uh, fled from palestine to lebanon and i converted to uh, christianity but now i'm living in a in a refugee camp here in switzerland and it's mostly muslims there and I cannot tell them that I'm converted and I have to practice like the Ramadan and stuff and act like I'm still a Muslim, but I'm not. And it's very difficult for me because I, I escaped from there because my life was threatened. And now I'm here and still I cannot live as a free person. I still have to hide and to to cover up something. And yeah, that was the story. With this, with this. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Tell me about how you started putting the work out there because it went viral but how did that how did that all start from time to time i tried to contact swiss uh, news websites about the project and i never got any reply from anyone so uh today like tonight somewhere tonight like it's going to be the first article in switzerland about this project on a news site and that's just because of the post on on huffington post so uh from time to time, I, I would contact the media, and it's like with everything I do, you just have to try hard and work hard and try it again and try it again and try it again. And then uh, maybe three weeks ago, I was on the vice.com website, and I saw like, yeah, they, uh, they have some, in, this, in Swiss, uh, Vice, Switzerland, they have some articles about refugees. And then I wrote them, like the photo editor, hey, look, this is my project. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, great project, but I'm from Germany. I, I pitched it to the guys in Switzerland. And then they contacted me and said, yeah, that's a great idea. And how much money are you asking? I said, I'm not asking for anything. I just, I'm happy if you publish it. Like, I don't, I don't look for money. And they were like, yeah, that's great. So they wrote this article, a very short one. And it was meant just to be on the Swiss Vice website. And then they translated it and sent it to UK. And from UK, it went to, I don't know, Canada and then Germany. And then, like it's, I think it's on every Vice website on the, around the planet, except from Russia, uh, Japan and China and mm. on the other website. And from there on, it just went viral. It was there and there and there. So every time when I would wake up, I just... Got another email, a press request from, I don't know, in Poland or France. So from time to time, just go on Google and look up for the project and discover it on the website. I don't know where in the world. So that's really uh, surprising. And also a little bit scary because I lost control out of it. So today I just got an email. Hey, we did this video about your project on the Indian website and they did the video and edited it with some pictures from refugee camps and some film from refugee camps and very dramatic music and they put it like it's like a I don't know a very dramatic movie and mm-hmm. they couldn't control it so that's just out there I was like oh boy what did I do but once it's out there it's out there so that's the thing with when something goes viral and I think why it went viral is because people are like tired to see those pictures of refugees standing at the beach or standing in a camp and what's different is like it's not dramatized. It's just it's a portrait. It's a person. It could be you. It could be me. And 
I think that's what makes the project different from other photos of, of refugees. Once, once it went viral, did you hear from some of your portrait subjects that started seeing their photographs and their stories being being published in you know on different websites and things like that? But yeah, not from all of them because I'm not for, with some of them. I'm still in contact with some of them. I'm not. But just today was Sheila, the, the very first subject was at my place here, and she was like, "Hey, we're world famous. Like we're everywhere. That's so weird. Like, and it is weird." But uh, she she didn't like her photo, but uh, she liked what what it does to the to the whole refugee uh, thing. So yeah, some some people like this because like they are not very beautiful portraits. If if you're sitting there, like my most like like the, the picture that everyone says that's my very best picture is the portrait of my father. My father hates it absolutely, <laughs> and I think it's the best picture I've ever taken. I I put it even in a magazine and it was printed it I don't know hundred thousand times in, in magazines in Europe and in, in in Austria in Germany. But yeah, some people just <laughs> those are not like most of the people want to look good, and in portraits it's not about looking good. It's about authenticity and about natural looking natural and uh yeah that's they said great project but i don't like my photo but some of them were really proud they brought all their friends to the exhibition they were really proud to see them hanging up on the wall so that was really great but they didn't i think they don't most of them don't know where the project went now yeah. well it's, it's interesting that you're that this project that it's so much your your lighting and your whole setup is not showy you know it's not like you're trying to boast Oh, look at all the stuff that I can do with about, you know, seven lights and with my retouching. And, you know, it's, it's nice. It's very good work, but it's more about the, the concept and the idea behind it rather than yeah, you trying to show off your photographic skills. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think the, the project is not art. It's, it's not portraiture. It's, it's not documentary work. It's something like in between all these things. And, that was also very interesting when I contact, like, I want to do a photo book, uh, which is very expensive. And I said, okay, I'm going to pay two thirds of it. I'm going to pay, but I try to get some money, some funding from, from the government here. And so there's this, uh, the only way to get money is like, there's a prize for, for artists and you can submit your work and then you get a, If you win, you get the prize as an artist. And they said, hey, this is not art what you do. And like two days later, I get a letter from the Swiss Photo Award and they said, that's one of the best works in Swiss photography in Switzerland this year. So you see like where like some people say that's art, some people say that's crap. So I'm sorry, I'm confused as well. But yeah, it's, I don't know what, what it is. And it was also hard for me to, where to show this picture. I think it would be better to show them outside somewhere, like to show it on, a, I don't know, not the marketplace, but outside somewhere where people can see it. It's not work for a gallery mm -hmm. because without the stories, it's pictures. It's not pictures that you would hang on your wall at home. It's just, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's uh, something like art documentary. Uh, I don't know. Well, it's 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 a wonderful project because I think it really speaks to what it, it poses the question of what is a portrait supposed to do. And I think that in, in this case, when you look at those pictures, Unlike a lot of other portrait work, you get to hear a little bit of what the story is, and that that results in a relationship with the sitter and the viewer that normally doesn't exist. Because usually, you can sort of impose what you think about the person or what you think 
you know about the person just by looking at the photograph. And then here you, you're forced, you're forced to deal with this person as a personality, especially uh, a refugee, which is awash with all these sort of stereotypes. And it really, you know, twists it on its, on its ear, this whole concept of, of who you think someone is in a photograph. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what I like about the project is no matter how you, you, you see the whole refugee thing, if you're for it, if you're against them, you look at the photo and you think, what would I take? And so it, it makes you think. It makes you like think about what is really important. If, if I have to leave everything behind, what would it be? And I think that, that's what, what I like about the project. Like There are so many great projects out there, so many great images, but... After two seconds, I forgot them. I didn't. Well, well, nice picture, awesome portrait, but doesn't get any. Like doesn't make anything with me. And in this thing, like no matter what, how you think about this whole refugee thing, you think about yourself a little bit more for just one moment. And maybe next day you still think, okay, I don't care about refugees. But but yet you 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 have to you do something like you you you're actually thinking about the work. It makes you think mm-hmm. most probably. Like in the, the first now one and a half years, like where no one wanted to publish it, like I thought, okay, that's really sad. Like no one really cares about it. And even like uh, Swiss people, like this is happening in Switzerland now. Those are Swiss refugees from here. Like no one really, not even like the, the media who's very, very like uh, pro refugees, they didn't want to show it. And it was, wasn't sad for me as a photographer to like. Yeah, I don't get any recognition for it, but it was it was sad for me for the the subjects because I thought like yeah they think like no one cares about us, no one cares about my story, and so that's that's the the best thing in this whole when it went viral like to see like yeah there are some people out there who like it and to who think that's good or make it make them think or I got lots of emails and Facebook message from from people who said yeah I'm. Like, my parents are also refugees. We came, like, if you ever come to Miami, you have to do a project. Like, there is this uh, Pedro Pan, like, movement from, from where they, I don't know where they fled from, from some Latin America. So you have to do, like, like it, it, it woke up a lot of emotions with, with people. And that's great. That's, that's what I love. I, I love. I, the exposure is not so much the thing that, that's, like, what I was looking for, but I like where the project went. And I think it will help, like the whole exposure will help me continue with the project. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Like one of, uh, one photographer that I greatly admire is Marco Grob. I think you know him. Like he's in New York now. He's uh, one of uh, the, the big guys doing portraiture now in in the states. He's from Switzerland too. He does really, really, absolutely awesome work. And then there's this other guy. His name is Justin Lister. Uh, he's not. I think he's not very popular, and but he's doing really, really great stuff. I'm in the, like he's in the Facebook group where I am too. I never post anything there, but he from time to time posts stuff there, and he really does a great job. And yeah, those are the two guys right now that I that came to my mind. Well, thank you so much, Gabriel. It was really a pleasure to, to sit down and speak with you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank us. you very much. It was a great pleasure.
Thanks to Gabriel Hill for taking the time to appear on The Candid Frame. Find out more about Gabriel and his work by visiting his website at thegabrielhill.com. Remember that you continue to play a big role in introducing others to the work that we do here at The Candid Frame. Take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Thanks to Yuri Razin from France for their five-star review. You can also support the show by making a regular monthly contribution through Patreon. You can contribute amounts of $2, $5, $10 or more, or anything in between on a monthly basis, and help make a big difference to the work that we're doing here at TCF. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find a link in the show notes and on the candid frame website. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.